Future Friday. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Future Friday here with me, Hamish Hallett and John Beasy, where we'll be speaking about the future of warfare. So, uh, yes, a very nice topic to start the morning about talking about war and all of what's uh, responsible about it. But, uh, yeah, so um, what is the future? What is warfare looking like in, let's say, five to ten years? What would you say it is, pretty much, if it, in your own words? Five to ten years? Um Well, you'll probably see a lot more, um, a lot more use of drones, unmanned um, mm-hmm. vehicles. Uh, there's definitely an arms race right now between the Americans, Russians, and the Chinese in the development of hypersonic weapons. So those mm-hmm. are um, missiles and other weapons that go over, uh, five times the speed of sound or faster. So Mach five or faster. They are they move a lot faster than what current radar systems can detect. They also fly around in a particular way that allows them to fly under the curvature of the Earth to avoid radar detection. So right now, current radar defenses and detection systems are, uh, in a- aren't able to really detect these things right now. Mm-hmm. So that's the, big, that's the big thing is that, is, you know, these are weapons that can go from L.A. to New York in like two minutes. That's and crazy. Deliver yeah. like a nuclear warhead, or mm. deliver a regular warhead, and also they're a lot more accurate than like regular missiles. Mm. Like a lot of, I think, I think conventional Trident missiles, fifty um, percent of the time they are going to land within one hundred twenty meters of their target. Yes, within a radius of that. Um, hypersonic missiles are much more accurate, mm-hmm. so you can use them for much more um, precise, uh, precise target attacks on things like infrastructure course yeah and um that's the thing about kind of even just like a regular missile or regular like airstrike sometimes it has um something like collateral damage you know so sometimes yes if you even if you let's say you want to target um you know someone who's on like the most wanted list for example unfortunately even though you you might kill or like assassinate well i don't want to say assassinate but like as if you kind of target the person like very well and a person's and the mission's like successful the impact, wide, the wider impact is pretty big because of, you know, civilians might be around and things like that. And that's been, like, criticized a lot when, you know, like, for example, the US doing airstrikes in the Middle East, for example, or Israel, for example. I don't actually know. Do Israel do? No, I wouldn't say Israel do airstrikes in, um, like, Palestine. They have all sorts of strikes. Yeah, that's the thing. Because I was just, I don't want to, like, say something which might be fake or anything. But, like, yeah, like, you know, certain countries that if they want to use airstrikes, for example, it does have that collateral damage which is then being critiqued a lot, you know, by us as citizens, but also by the international order. So, and then from what I've been hearing from you, what you've been saying about the missile, it seems not saying it would, you're not saying it would eradicate the collateral damage though, wouldn't you? No. No, 100% not. I mean, if you, have, if you put on, uh, yeah, if it's more accurate and you put on a bigger payload. Yeah. It also just depends, you know, <laughs> it also comes down to it to, how much how much collateral and civilian harm is caused by genuine like we can't we genuinely cannot avoid harming these people yeah and how much of them is like we don't really care about these people i mean this is these are these are places in the world where america's been at war for over 20 years they're not exactly viewing these people as they should be mm. it's just very funny enough for them to you know, doing these airstrikes, and then and then they come out like, oh, we want to spread democracy and things like that. But you're just doing airstrikes, like 
that's very counterproductive. You know, it's creating more anti-American sentiment. It's also, I'm not, also the UK does this as well. Um, I know Canada doesn't really do much about this. Well, you kind of, we're, we're, do you think? We're okay. in bed with them. You think? We're in bed. Yeah. We're in bed. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Cause, cause, cause I read somewhere it was like, you know, Canada doesn't really get involved in things like, um, sort of like targeted killings and things like that. But but I've had, but then I read there's also there was like more of this there's also like the alliance with the with the Americans and things like that so maybe they are increasingly becoming more involved but I haven't really seen like Canada actually doing an airstrike but from what I we don't, I don't know generally like, do those things but we do yeah. we don't do necessarily airstrikes directly but we mm. always of course are supportive yeah we send troops we send you know whatever things we can do to help. Um, we also provide intelligence. We are part of Five Eyes, so sure. we are part of that um, Anglo-American intelligence hegemony. So yeah, we're not we're not exactly without with clean hands. Mm, no, definitely. Um, and would you say because I've, I've kind of been looking, researching, and looking into you know warfare a little bit, and I feel like increasingly, maybe you can agree with this statement or disagree with this statement. I feel like we're becoming a lot less boots on the ground. So, like, there's been a lot less, even though the military is still there. I think it will still be there for, I don't know. I don't know how, we, we, can't, we can't predict it. It could be a, a possible future could be, like, we don't have a military anymore. We actually just use it on things like drones, like these missiles. But I feel like the warfare and the military is becoming less boots on the ground and more, like, technology, like, with these drones, with missiles and things like that. Would you say you agree with that or would you disagree? I don't know. It's definitely, technology is definitely playing a greater role. It's yeah. definitely playing that. Um, as for boots on the ground, I wouldn't, I would say the people still are very, like, until, like, you can have a robot, like, basically, yeah. like, basically you can have a robot soldier who can go around, like, knocking on door to door and, like, able to project force the way a human soldier can, you're going to have people. Yeah. And even then, if you have those kinds of things, I think you're still fundamentally going to have, uh, millet like you're gonna have armies and armed personnel i think the only way you're gonna get rid of you'll the only way you'll have a future where you don't have militaries is a future where you don't have millet you don't have war yeah no that's true and i feel like i don't know as human history i don't feel like we're gonna still be even though it's not like the scale of like world war well i don't know obviously throughout history we've, we've had wars haven't we you know world war one world war two um you know we've had the cold well we have the you know cold war even though that was like not physical it was more of like you know the soft like power and stuff policy but wars. policy yeah all that kind of stuff but we've always been the the world has always been in tension i feel even though you could argue the tensions have been high or low depending on the situation there's always been tension so i feel like i think the military is still needed especially because i think any state needs a military it needs a way of protecting itself so i think you know as long as what you've been saying you know as long as we're still kind of technically at war, quote unquote. Um, I think the military will still exist. And um, and then as like another kind of follow up question, would you say then, you know, we've, you mentioned about these, you know, these kind of like missiles being, you know, developing such an like a big rate in terms of like how, in terms of it's being undetected by radars and all that. Would you say then like warfare has kind of changed because we're kind of speak, we're speaking off air and you kind of feel like it has, but it hasn't. Do you want to go more in depth about that, or? I mean, sure. Dimensions of it have, have yeah. changed. Um, you're opening up new arenas, um, but it's and war will definitely take. Will def 
a lot of the fundamental characteristics of war I don't think has changed. Mm. I think that technology allows war to enter new fields yeah, and allows you to amp up um, any kind of efforts you're putting in. Mm. That's true. And you could also argue that... Like you, can, like you can you can make anything a kind of weapon. You can even argue that culture is a weapon. I mean, if you look at say mm. uh, World War Three memes, I don't know how into how how into memes you've been. You, yeah, but I'm sure you've seen some I've seen some, some yeah. of those World War Three memes. the The thing about World War Three memes is that it, so, some of them at the very beginning are kind of you know anti-war. Like, hey, give me like. One, let's the absurdity of the United States killing an Iranian official, cool. and then like you know, hey, can we like not, you know, mute, you know, can we not nuclear? Can we not have a nuclear end winter or something? Can yeah. we not go off to war to fight, you know, for your imperialism? Mm. And then it slowly gets taken over by um, a more reactionary, more war hockey kind of group, where it's kind of like, yeah, we're gonna go to war. Let's you know, let's have fun. Yeah. Really, you know, yeah. let's. You know, let's let's dance. You know, let's. You know, I'm dressed up as a soldier and I'm gonna dance. You know, but it's all about. But this is in reaction to American aggression. Mm, cool. So from and this is so from the from the from outside the perspective of Western culture, you see a chauvinistic warmongering people that are out there celebrating war because they don't even they don't even then they think of themselves as being defensive. They're thinking of their own aggression, a- aggressive action as defensive, mm. and if that's not chauvinistic and warmongering, mm. then you know it, it reveals it's a culture that's detached from its own position in in the world. Yeah, no, completely. And um, I kind of like how you kind of mentioned about you know, the culture war. I think I could have probably should have thought of that because it's true. What do you characterize of you know war? Because yes, you've got act like military wise that you could categorize that as a war but of course you then got the exchanging of different ideas going against clash clashing against each other you know you got for example you have you know let's say because right now i feel like the liberal order has been tackled a lot you know right now with like globalization the backlash against that and that you could argue is is, oh mm, would you say that's a war i don't know like you know how it's like i mean i don't know maybe maybe not I mean, when you go for when you're having a if you have a total war, nothing's off the table. Yeah, you have propaganda, you have whatever. I guess what I'm saying is, when we have the next big war, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. Yeah, I think we're going to see a level of human destruction and barbarism we haven't seen before. Mm. Think of World War Two, and I think it's going to be a lot worse. Of course, yeah, I think so. Definitely, I think it's definitely a possible future. I would definitely say, um, especially like especially when we have seen um you know drones being used increasingly so even though because we've kind of spoke this off air even though i was saying drones are potentially new maybe they actually are not because you know barack obama during his administration was increasingly using drones during his operation so for example um this was reported by the bureau of investigation investigative journalism found that between 2004 and 2016 there were 424 u.s drone attacks in pakistan alone and 373 of which were under Obama, and I don't know, I can't, I can't, I don't know how what the percentages of that, but like it's pretty huge. So that just shows that, you know, drones are no longer the new thing; they're actually becoming embedded in sort of, you know, militaries, which is pretty, it's quite scary. 
are you going to go? One could argue drones, yes, have good advantages and disadvantages. So drones, they don't, they can be, you know, remotely controlled. They don't cause any, they don't cause harm to the military. But you could argue the the, the still people who control them, they could still get, you know, post-traumatic stress because there's, the, those drones are still being controlled and things like that. So that's one argument for and against. Um, they're much more efficient because they can carry a lot more technologies than, let's say, like, you know, soldiers have. You know, they can, I think, apparently drones can store a lot of these kind of technologies, like facial recognition. They can be used for multiple purposes. So just like... Well, you just need a camera to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can, which they, you can mount on, which a lot of soldiers have mounted. If you look at American, they mm. have... I think like the average American soldier has like $50,000 worth of gear on them mm. or something like that. Like there's a lot of technology involved. Yeah, but then you could also argue that that's going to be kind of how much they, how much the technology weighs in the soldier. The soldier can feel it hugely, right? Even though these soldiers are like huge individuals, they're having to carry all of that. Whereas these drones, they can probably in a way be built and then like, you know, can store so much of these. Well, it depends on what kind of these tech. What it depends. Kind of tech are you talking about like weapons technologies or you're talking about like radio sensors because like well kind of like both. your cell phone has like i don't know at least 12 different sensors on it mm. and they're all fit in the tiny little tiny little thing. most of them are fit not even in the entire block most of them are fit up right near your that little speaker grill mm. for you talking right there right by your headphone yeah so right, right by the um the front facing camera mm. most of the radios and like sensors on your phone are fit are stuck right there like you can fit an infrared sensor, uh, a, a camera, and then that camera can then have all sorts of software loaded on it to have facial recognition or all yeah. sorts of different filters. Of course, that can all fit in like a like a, really a like a little thing, thing that would fit mm. on their glasses. Yeah, like it's not necessary unless you're talking about like advanced weapons and like missiles. Yeah, like yeah, that's those, like sensory technology mm. isn't something that a soldier that would really weigh a soldier down. Okay, fair enough. Okay, but yeah, like. Yeah, I would say then, okay, just to change it, my point up a little bit, it's like, yeah, I would say that drones can hold, I would say, like, a lot more things, like the missiles, more than the soldiers, I would say. You know? Well, then at this point, you're more comparing um, a drone to something like a plane, like a, a bomber. Mm. Then it's really just an unmanned bomber. Mm. Yeah. Like, a lot of the benefits of drones, a lot of the benefits of drones are mostly just in terms in, in terms of human life. Okay, fair enough. That's okay. Because I was, yeah. And okay. then, of course, there's other ways in which you can, sure, there's, like the biggest benefits to drone usage are in terms of like the versatility of it. Yeah, the versatility. There's definitely lots of other ways you can use it. You can, like, a uh, like a smaller surveillance drone can definitely be used mm -hmm. very effectively for reconnaissance. Yeah. Um, or for more, you know, they can move more. They can move better in three dimensions. They can move more like a helicopter than like a, a, a plane yeah. can. But of course, that depends on the specific design of the drones. Lots of soldiers mm. will take reconnaissance drones out with them. Or you can have, you know, a more of a glider drone out there to drop bombs. Yeah, of course. And also cost as well is a big, is a pretty big incentive to why, you know, you've got the, like, the, the likes of the US using these drones. Because I think apparently... Like small drones cost around thirty thousand to fifty thousand dollars, I think, which, with the military budget, is a lot. Um, with the, with so much, with so much of a big military budget for like the US, that's like nothing, hmm. you know. And you compare it to like fighter jets, they must. I don't know. I don't know the exact figure of how much they are cost. I don't know if you may you may know. I don't, I don't know. know. All I know is they keep building more tanks and they yeah. don't need more tanks. They and have the more thing. tanks in reserve than every other country. Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like. 
you know the fact you can employ loads and loads of drones because they cost not that much is a big incentive however you know there's no real international law on these i don't know there's, there's been discussions of drones in in terms of international law and things like that and i feel like the next question which i kind of want to ask you would you say that these like drones and all these kind of new technologies that are coming about that are being like i'm not saying drones are new but like you know what i mean like new technologies that are coming about um can they be regulated by kind of international law or any law do you think sure you can always try to make up some kind of non-proliferation treaties i mean that's generally how we deal with nuclear weapons true um it's just a matter of you know getting those that kind of support yeah but it also depends you know lots you know a lot many countries are are party to the the international ban on landmines but not the countries that matter not the united states not russia not china they're they're still they're still going to use landmines so Mm. yeah it's so it's like the rest uh, the whole world can come together and say yeah we want to ban autonomous weapon systems we don't want a weapon system that's run entirely by a computer that can make decision make uh decisions to use lethal force uh without human intervention you know we can have the entire world sign a bill you know sign a treaty with the un saying we're not going to use that technology and if the un if the u.s doesn't sign that well then who's going to stop it yeah it's like more like lip uh, lip service you know and that's that's what my my worry is it's like you know even if you have for example a law that regulates drones these drones will be still being used by for example like the US in terms of killing the Iran official you know it's like even if you have all these frameworks in place theoretically you could argue oh yeah in a theoretical sense hmm. yeah countries will stop won't use drones be in this in these senses I mean the other thing is um, you know it's like yeah one the US isn't party to the International Criminal Court back in 2002 they passed the Hague Invasion Act that would authorize the US military to invade the netherlands to forcibly extract any u.s military personnel or a or a u.s ally who's being charged by the international criminal court for war crimes oh really oh mm-hmm. wow yeah that was in response to people not liking american invasion after of um after 2001 yeah and then yeah so there's that you can't really the other thing is um we have also we have treaties that that delineate the the rules and laws of war and those get followed up until those get followed up until someone breaks them of course yeah. and then as soon as someone breaks them all hell goes loose mm-hmm. like during the first world war uh chemical weapons for the purpose of asphyxiation were banned under the geneva convention of 198 of 1898 yes yeah then we see the first use. Then we see the French first employ tear gas in World War One, mm-hmm. and then the Germans used uh, chlorine gas um, and Ypres against Canadian soldiers. And that, and then once you started using those, you know, everyone starts. You start getting mustard gas, and then you start getting phosgene gas. Yeah. Everyone starts using gas, and all starts using chemical weapons. They're all illegal, but people are still using them. Mm. Like Cereal. once the war yeah. starts escalating to a certain point, and people start doing things. They're going to do whatever. Yeah. Or just like, yeah, you can't, legally, you can't target civilian targets. Well, um, have you heard of the Blitz yeah. during World War II? I know. That's the thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, 
even just to take it like more of a modern example, you got like Syria, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, the use of chemical. It's like there's been news saying like the Syrian government did use chemical weapons, and there's some sources that are saying they don't. But like you know, it's been that discussion's been going on. It's like, and then there's just or just take the Americans. They you know they'll yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll bomb a hospital and that's illegal Mm. who's going to charge them who's going to stop them yeah and that's the thing i find that's what's my biggest critique of you know organizations like the united nations or the european union it's like what happens if some state is just like you know screw you i'm just going to do this you know there's no there's no respective there's no retrospective action after that you know that that kind of physical action i don't feel you know, and that's that's why we that's when we have to question personal opinion. I, that's when I question the United Nations because I'm not personally I'm not a big supporter of the United Nations. Though I'm not saying the United Nations is a rubbish organization. It's done a lot of work. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dispute that. Like for example, it's written things like human rights. It's done a lot of these things. It's like it's tried to improve the lives of everyone around the world. It has. I'm not gonna dispute that. Mm. It's just when these occasions of war happen. The United Nations can't do anything about it because, unfortunately, the the way the United Nations works is they have to be neutral. But when you clearly see someone starting a war, what do you do then? That's the issue. Well, the UN does have the capacity. It's just that you have five countries with veto power. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. those five countries yeah. with veto power are also the imperial aggressors. Of course, yeah. And that's when you then have... That's why I was questioning, you know, the... Um, the framework that the United Nations kind of operates. It's like, why are you giving... I understand because they're the strongest nations, but at the same time... Because they wrote the UN? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, okay, yeah, true. <laughs> forgot about that part. But like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, surely someone has to be outside looking into it and thinking, if we clearly see someone starting a war, surely there's got to be action. There surely has to be. But then it's like, you know, that, that's that's my frustration about it. You know, that's my frustration of it. It's like... Morally, when you see someone start a war, when it's so clear to see, and nations do not take action to condemn or to at least do something, there's no action from it. It's like I was so annoyed when I saw Syria, um, when there's there's the the suspected use of chemical weapons. I'll put that on quote unquote because again we don't know. Mm. You know, the use of chemical weapons was potentially clear to see, potentially not clear to see, but again there's been no action to sort of you know to at least investigate it i don't know like that's that's what kind of annoys me and that's when i criticize a lot of these um organizations because it's like well what's the point of them if you're gonna if these human right abuses for example these war abuses happen you know what's the point of them i don't don't know be honest like you can disagree with me if you if you want to but like that's how i feel about it i'll definitely agree that they're not the they're definitely lacking in their structure and the teeth behind them i still think they're do they're it's better that we have them than we don't. Yeah. Okay. Like they definitely help establish some norms. They definitely help allow established communication. They help us, you know, enshrine certain human rights norms and protections into international law. Now, while international law doesn't have a lot of bearing, it's still kind of, it's, there's still a paper trail. Yeah. Now there's still a lot. I mean, the league of nations sucked. The UN sucked. There's going to be something else that comes after it and it's going to have the same issues. Yeah. I don't think it's going to have same issues, but mm. each, each iteration, you know, you have, you have an organization that's supposed to stop war. A war happens. You create a new organization. The organization kind of works out for a bit. You realize it has faults. Oh, you yeah. can't prevent a war. Then you create a new organization. Mm-hmm. We're going to see, there's going to be some kind of huge conflict. The UN isn't going to be able to stop. 
Of course. Then, but we, I think we still have to realize that there has to be some kind of forum for international governance. Yeah. And I think part of it, is, and I think what we might see in the next phase is giving more authority to an international government. Yeah. And perhaps a kind of and an idealistic world, perhaps a kind of global federation where we can actually have sovereignty at an international level that's actually able to interact with member states in a mm. more legitimate way. Yeah, that's the thing. I kind of feel like that's the one way of trying to address this issue. But again, it's it's very... Would states even agree with that? And that's the issue, you know? Sorry? Would like... I don't know, would maybe... If, if there was this creation of this international federation for example mm -hmm. and it's it's creating this legitimate body you could argue like legitimate body right would those all those states agree with it that's the issue you know because you're technically having another person that has um authority or has god like well if it's I democratic don't know, like, that's different there's different there's different that's one thing an issue yeah. with the un is it's all its members it's member its members are representatives of the constituent governments yeah. not of people mm. you could you know there's there are ways you could make it more like say the european parliament people don't have as much as many issues with the european the issues with the european parliament are more with how the u.s the european executive functions yeah and the lack of influence of the u.s europe uh, european parliament over the executive mm. but you can but people don't have issues with the parliament itself People have issues with the executive because they don't have democratic control over it. Yeah. But no one, but people don't throw hissy fits over European elections. No. We could have something similar. Mm. We could have okay. a we could have global elections with a global executive and global parliament. Yeah. That are accountable to the people. Mm. You know what? That's actually a good idea. It could be. You know, it's it's a suggestion. Definitely a suggestion. And no, that is something interesting. I think we went a little bit off with warfare but that's okay i think that's okay like well, i think that's it's, the future i think that's still part i think of that is yeah. a future i oh, think yeah. is the only way we're going to see i think we have to go through a lot of conflict before we can really kind of get to something get to something like that because mm. i think while a lot of people can see that the system's not really working there's a lot of stubborn ones who are want to want to work with what they can yeah of course it's like being a realist and things like that but um yeah it's like yeah and also what's becoming a lot to relate to relate this back to kind of like warfare and things like that um digital warfare or like cyber warfare has i, I don't, I don't want to say maybe i was going to say it's becoming quite new but at the same time it's already started being used um and i was kind of think i was kind of like thinking of this question you know has cyber warfare sort of replaced the more traditional forms of warfare and what i mean by traditional it's like you know the, the the military the kind of the airstrikes and things like that do you think the cyber warfare has kind of replaced that or do we still live in a world that those types of traditional operations are still relevant today it's a big oh, big question yeah, but, but like, i think there, there are things that go hand in hand yeah you want to do as much as in a war you want to do as much as you can to disrupt and disable your enemy's capacity to wage war yeah and if that means you know hacking their computers and you know hacking their power grids and presenting them from you know processing their financial transactions of course then of course you're going to use that you're going to use everything available to you but that doesn't mean you're not going to go run any you know drones yeah so you're going to still feel like it's going to work hand in hand pretty much probably yeah that's fair enough i feel like it depends on i think it also depends on you know who's waging it 
depends on who's waging the war and what what their capacities are relative to the other one. If they mm. think they if they think they could win a war quickly and easily just through you know a, a cyber aggression, then they probably would. Yeah, it's it's you know read the the art of war. The best the best war is one where you don't have to you know fight at all. True. Yeah, and I feel like maybe wars are becoming less you know physical to physical. It's becoming a lot more like you know someone like let's say one country is so far apart from like two countries are so far apart from each other they don't have to like you know literally fly airplanes all the way to one country and then fight them it's like they can do it so remotely which mm. is pretty scary actually if you think about it you know the fact that i think it was it did china hack the u i think i know i feel like china has done some sort of hacking the Chinese and the North Koreans, yeah. Americans and Russians are all hacking They're each all other hacking all each the other, time. pretty much. Yeah, but I know there was. I think something happened. I think in the U.S. they got. There's hacked one or example yeah. of the U.S. Um, taking basically giving a virus to a an Iranian nuclear enrichment facility that caused its um, a lot of the thermal controls to kind of not regulate themselves and basically mm. cause a meltdown oh wow yeah because that's the thing yeah it's the fact that yeah it's like back to my point um the fact they can just you know do things so far away from each other which is pretty scary you know it's the fact you know the the fact that yeah it's 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 really i know it's i think it's scary to see because i know from my personal experience i saw the nhs for example that got hacked and i think it was I remember when it got hacked i believe it was like just last year um just before actually i don't know when it... i kid i know the nhs got hacked mm. i know also i think the labor party system got hacked as well i don't know if you kind of read that somewhere in the uk but like that happened as well so that again shows you know hacking isn't just it's just hacking in any sort of process yeah. you know so it's very yeah i think we are living in a time where you know we have to kind of be careful we have to have systems that are in place to kind of protect ourselves um and then quickly, just want to, because we're going to do like another um, section of this podcast, uh, something called Weak Signals, but we'll just do it before that point. What will the future of warfare do you think will look like in general? I know we've kind of asked this question in the beginning, but like just to like a nice roundup of this discussion, what do you think the future of warfare will look like? Bad. Bad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, and it, I mean, depend. Yeah, I think. I mean yeah if we're like if we're comfortable bougie rich people in the west mm. you know we're probably gonna be okay yeah but man we've done so many such terrible things to the rest of the world it's the the issue with the thing about americans care about human lives insofar as they are american Okay. They're always about American citizens. Oh my god! Yeah. Once you take American <laughs> citizen lives out of the the military equation, yeah, there's there's no human lives to them. Mm. It doesn't matter. They'll do whatever. And many some other countries are like that. And oh. I think when you once you take out the fact that you, you know, you're you're not sending off your sons and daughters to die, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to press a button and wipe off god knows how many other people off the world absolutely and i think it's scary i think really really scary to the fact that um you know you have these technologies being developed the fact that you know the military isn't going to be as harmed as much which west for your own sake is great but then the fact is what about the other countries that don't have the same resources mm. well you know the likes of the middle east who 
are constantly having this cycle of I don't know how you can describe it. It's just cycle of just barbarity. Let's just say that it's the Middle East has become it's in these these cycles constantly. You know they don't have unfortunately don't have the resources to create a efficient enough like defense system for example you know because because they don't let them yeah exactly because it's the fact that they're constantly unfortunately getting bombed they can't develop economically they can't develop you know they don't have a stable state because big states are just you know they're completely in like utter anarchy which is just and the thing is i feel like we can as citizens and always civil society we can you know criticize these governments as much as we like unfortunately the government just these governments have all the power in the world just to create war you know it's like and for me it's like what 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 will it take for states to stop doing war i don't think i don't know what's going to happen i don't know you know that's that's i think that's the bigger question you know what would it take for states to think is warfare are these using these drones really gonna create you know is it best for our interests? And well, then like you have to ask the know. questions: What driving? What's driving war? Mm. Why does America keep building stuff? Yeah, because it makes money. True. Why does America keep invading other countries? Because they have governments that don't allow them to don't allow their companies to extract as many resources as they possibly can. Mm. America doesn't like countries that don't play by its rules. Yeah, and don't count how. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, America will invade you. I think we need to change the way in which we water where our incentives are. You can't you can't profit off making bombs. You shouldn't be able to and you should and you need to have a better system of distributing and allocating and sharing resources because we have we could in many ways share or make cooperative systems, but instead we want to have a zero sum winner take all or you know. I need to make sure I have the control so I can make sure I can, you know, profit off it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty sad international order to have, but it's the realist, it's the realistic truth to it. Um, but yeah, no, that's our kind of main discussion of uh, the future of warfare. Um, with this podcast, we are going to introduce something quite new. Um, it's a section called Weak Signals. So actually, John, I feel like you know Weak Signals a, bit, a little bit better than mine, but better than me. So do you want to explain what a weak signal is to the audience listening? So a weak signal is an exercise in foresight, as we discussed um, a couple episodes ago. And so it's an exercise in seeing what the future could be. Mm -hmm. A weak signal is any instance of change, be it political, cultural, technological, social, anything, where if if we could imagine it to be more widespread... Uh, what would that world look like? What would the implications of that be? How would that be disruptive or change or challenge any kind of assumptions we have about how the world works today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. The weak, the weak signal section. So deaf-wise, um, I've, I've kind of seen this one in uh, Policy Horizons, which was something talking about deaf-wives, which is um, basically suggesting that they want to have this sort of like service or trying to change the concept or the viewpoints of death and dying to be way more open and positive which when i was reading this was actually quite interesting because i feel like as a society we always see death as quite negative it's we always mourn to it we always sort of we don't like dying basically we 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 want it's like people want to like i don't know it has its positives and its uh, cons to it but like you know we want to live forever but of course you know there's a whole another debate about it but like yeah a lot of us want to you know don't want to die you know we want to live forever we want to experience all the treasures 
in one go but unfortunately we have such a limited lifespan you know and you know these kind of services like deathwise once are trying to establish more of a open and positive connection which is definitely changing the concept of death in the future you know in five ten years because i think it really is going to impact um how we view death so i was kind of reading the article and i'll get like a few quote like a quote of this so it's basically saying that Deathwise, I was trying to seek to establish connections between funeral homes, home funeral educators, uh, deaf doulas, I think, and families. Um, and these kind of include like workshops such as Home fu- home Funerals 101 and Deep Deaf Work. And, you know, participants have the opportunity to explore themes such as the history of deaf work, what it means to die well, spiritually and emotionally, reflections and ritual and grief ex- exercises. So that's pretty interesting, the fact that I think it will definitely help a lot if people you know because i think we have a, such an aging society as well um you know i think a lot of them are going towards that point i think they need to and a lot of their sort of uh, relatives might die soon i think these exercises will definitely help to kind of yeah change the mentality of how we view death because i feel like a lot of people kind of deal with death in either a positive or a negative way they can say like oh that person had a really great life even though i'm grieving right now and it's very upsetting for them to go this is life, this is what life happens and we need to move on. But then some people sometimes treat death in a very negative way. And it's like, we're blaming, like blaming, you know, God or blaming this, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really kind of interesting to see that these kind of death wives, which are kind of similar to, you know, midwives, like helping with childbirth come about. And I think it's, you know, we'll see what happens in five to 10 years when these kind of develop. Um, do you know much about this subject? I'm not really. I don't know if you do. Not a ton about death doulas per se. Yeah. I can definitely say that um, Western cultures don't have a great relationship with death. Mm-hmm. We definitely don't really think about it. No, I don't think so. Um, which is kind of, I think, a, a reason why we kind of have that kind of anxiety and uneasiness around it because we don't talk about it. It's not normalized. Yeah. And a lot of Western and Western cultures are also really bad at grieving. They really don't know. We're not really good at kind of processing those emotions or just tears. Like I know in a lot many, some Indian cultures, you know, if you, you know, you, they, they'll cry and they're like, Oh, well, when we tend to think, Oh, you're so upset. What's wrong? And like, no, I'm actually really happy. You know, it's just, just of course. Yeah. The way we always assume, you know, we always take tears and whatnot to take BS extreme sadness. We're not really good at kind of processing. We're not going to go to discussing death and we're not good at processing the emotions around it. So Absolutely. it's yeah. definitely very good to have, you know, a more, a healthier and more open dialogue around it. Absolutely. I will create better like mental kind of health as well. Oh, I think, absolutely. 100% with it. So I think it'd be very interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it will just depend on like who will be the first person, who will be the first, you know, country to kind of advocate for it, you know? So we'll see. Um, but yeah, do you have um, yeah. a weak signal as well? So I got one about um, bu- butter, and so butter. It's about it's about butter. Butter, butter okay. made nice. from insect fat. Wow. Okay. So uh, scientists at the university at uh, Ghent University in Belgium are experimenting with substituting butter uh, with uh, larva fat in cooking. Hmm. So they baked cookies, waffles, and cakes, and baked them with butter from uh, black soldier lar- uh, black soldier fly larvae. They made three different variants: one with um, just pure regular butter, no insect butter; twenty five percent insect butter, seventy five percent regular butter, and then half and half. Mm. And in blind taste tests, uh, people with cake could uh, taste about the same 
cake with 25% insect fast tasted the same as zero, but about 50, at about 50, it kind of tasted weird. Okay. Um, but the waffles were indistinguishable at 50, 50, and they saw almost no change to, uh, color or texture. Hmm. So the big thing with this is that, well, insect butter can be a lot more efficient than say traditional forms of butter. Um, a lot of say a traditional butter because it uses cattle and it takes like one kilo of i think it's like one kilo of butter takes like 21 liters of milk to make yeah that's a and lot. it's like the carbon footprint of like one kilo of of one kilo of butter uh, producing that emits 12 kilos of carbon dioxide mm. so it's just it's really inefficient you have to um it's yeah it's it's very inefficient but on the other hand it's cows are also really bad at tra- at transforming like ener- like food inputs into energy yeah insects can do that a lot more efficiently you can you can graze insects with far fewer resources and you don't really need you don't need a big space to graze you don't need all that they're not going to emit all that ton- all that methane yeah and you can have, uh, transform them to butter more efficiently uh now it's not clear whether we can, we're going to have a day where we'll have 100% pure insect butter, mm. but even just cutting down the amount of oh, you yeah. know, pure butter we're consuming can definitely help make it go further, mm. especially if we need to you know control our cattle populations. Absolutely. I feel like it's definitely a conversation that we do need. I think we need to find ways of changing the way we produce things because I feel like the traditional way of producing things like food with the cows, with the milk, oh, sorry, butter, sorry, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's becoming very inefficient and it's causing more harm than good. At the same time, I think this is a really good idea. I think this is great, the fact that we are looking for alternatives um, because I think we already are looking out there to try and change the way we are producing certain goods. The only issue is, what about the cows? You know, let's say we, get, we have a possible future that butter is now produced by 100% of these insects. What happens to the cows? You know, because I think cows are, I think, pretty important, especially for farmers in terms of cutting down, you know, the grass because they eat the grass and things like that. Cattle is still pretty important, though. What happens to them if if we are using less of the cows through producing things like milk, um, butter, all those kind of things? What happens to them? That's the thing. Do you have fewer cows? Yeah, we have fewer cows, but then surely cows are kind of still needed. Like we still need cows to kind of help with, you know, grass cutting and things like that i mean it's not like cows aren't going to exist but it's more like think of it uh, think of say like horses mm. we used to use horses all the time like horse population peaked around world war one oh yeah now we like we still have horses we still mm. drive we're not we're still doing a lot of we we use other things to do a lot of the things that horses did before the mm. horse population is a lot smaller but we still have horses still have horses yeah we're going like there's still going to be dairy farmers still going to be cattle farmers but a lot of it, but if a lot of it's going to be done in other ways, you know, you also have to, you also slaughter cattle to, to for food. And as you slaughter more and you realize you don't need as many cows, you're going to stop raising and raising breeding and as many. Like mm. And over time, the population declines. But then what if those farmers use, you know, cows a lot of the time though? What happens to them? You know, like even though, yes, you could argue they go switch to another source, mm. but then what about those like, they might not have the resources to go and switch to another source. They might be purely relying on cows too much, you know? And that's another, I think that's a bigger question we need to answer, you know? I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say, but I don't know. Well, sure, there's, you're going to, of course, in every field, you're going to have to 
find ways of retraining and redistributing people in their jobs. Yeah. But the other thing is this, they're still going to be cattle farmers. They're still mm. going to be there. There's people who are still going to want, you know, still want actual want property yeah. dairy. It's just that the economics of it are going to change. Mm. It's, you know, it might be a lot more expensive because there's not going to be as many cattle. You might not have to do it as much. You're like, there's still going to be, the people who are going to switch will of course going to switch. There's going to be economic pressures too. And some of them are going to resist it. And some yeah. of them are either going to do it voluntarily or sometimes they can't by choice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to need the government to come in and help them transition out. Other ones are going to continue doing it. The thing is you need to get it down. It doesn't necessarily matter who individually is cattle farming and who's butter farming or whatever. Yeah. It's just a matters as we get it done on the big picture, we get fewer cows. We get fewer cows. And, yeah. if you're, and it doesn't mean we have to have zero cows. You can't have any cattle farmers. It's more like you're probably going to have some cattle farmers who maybe want, maybe they want some milk for themselves and they, you know, raise and they grow butter for everyone else. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair enough. I think it's, yeah. I think or it's, they keep one cow just to graze the field. Of course. Yeah. I think it's a very interesting conversation to have. Yeah. I think it's, I think that, that week's signal is interesting to see. Um, We, we don't know what's going to be the future of it's it. It's the same kind of discussion when you yeah. have with like, um beyond beef ah yes yes good point yeah like no. you're still going to have pig and cattle it's just that mm. if these things can become cheap enough people are going to go for that mostly true maybe you know you'll go out for a proper actual steak as like a treat because it'll be a lot more expensive yeah but it's not it doesn't mean that you're not gonna there's not going to be cattle farmers mm. okay yeah that's fair enough no interesting but so yeah that was that was a good conversation yeah. that we had about warfare and also about issuing these two week signals so yeah just to say thank you guys for listening um you can tune in for next week and also you can listen to our episodes on spotify or on anchor um you can just type in like future fridays like hamish hallett and you should find uh the episodes so yeah thanks guys for listening and stay tuned for next week